Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, The lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills, adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, the co-host of the Church of What's Happening Now podcast with Joey Diaz, known the world over as the Flying Jew. Now, he is embarking on a new adventure in stand-up comedy. He is one of the kindest souls I have encountered in this piece of shit town I call home. Hello and welcome, Lee Syatt. Hi, thank you so much for having That's like the best intro I've ever had. I appreciate it. Are you, you're starting to make the rounds, aren't you? Yeah, oh yeah, everyone, but everyone, when they see me, they, they want to talk to me about edibles and all that, which is great, but that was like, to, I try to be, and it's weird, especially in LA, you try to be a nice person, people uh, like look at you like you're weird when you try to be a nice person. Yeah, and also, tell me what you think about this. You're beginning to dabble in stand-up comedy, I've been dabbling for a couple of years, and it is such a truism that you have to be this tremendously fucked up person to fit. And I, I don't think it's true, but I do notice that, like, in my heart of heart, I guess I have to believe it's not true. But right. I, but but that having been said, all of the successful people that I know are really fucked up. But by the way, that's not limited to stand-up comedy. No, it's it's really not. And especially in this town, it feels like you almost have to, to sort of have the edge. But there's, I, I don't know. I, and this might be true for every industry, but I've met some of the craziest like people like I, I might never want to even like run into ever again in comedy. But I've also met some of the nicest, most helpful. Our buddy Sam Tripoli, who's put me on shows that I have no business being on, and it's yeah, just, same here. So it's it sometimes both of us at the same time, <laughs> back to back. <laughs> but no, it's it's uh, there, it, it does go both ways. But it's it's weird how. You come to L.A., I don't know, with all these dreams and expectations, and then, like, I, my friends when I moved here would joke that my soul was still alive, and that the, the, your soul slow, slowly dies here in L.A., and it it happens every once in a while, but I don't know, I feel lucky to be out here, I feel lucky, especially waking up this early to come in, I'm just happy that I don't have to do this every day, I used to have to drive down the 405 every day. Yeah, I think a lot of them also, for some reason, think it's cool to brag. Sam Tripoli is a perfect example of a guy who he will go out of his way to remind you that he's dead on the inside and he's just a, a, um, a an ossified husk of a man <laughs> where his soul used to be. And it's fucking lies. He's a goddamn hairy teddy bear. Right. And, and it's weird. It's like you try to be... I don't know. I, I I joke that I I can't. Whenever I watch cops, I always believe the people. Like, oh, they didn't do it. They said they didn't do. It. <laughs> so when you come to L.A., like you, I I have that sort of. I I always try to believe in people. I try to believe what they tell me, and it mm-hmm. doesn't. Not everyone is like Sam. Not everyone says, "Oh, I'll put you on a show," and then they actually put you on a show. Yeah. So uh, you kind of. Some of the girls are mildly untruthful here as well. I've noticed. You know what I. I I haven't got. I, I don't have like even the say. My if I had the looks that you had, I'd be out every night in Hollywood. But I haven't gotten to the point where I'm trying to pretend I'm a producer or anything. I know. It, How do those guys do it? 
I don't. They almost deserve to get laid if they can actually commit that hard to the story and back it up with some car they can't afford and shit like that. I just love the idea that being a producer would get me laid. That that's all it would take. Oh, I can put you in something. That's kind of a weird. Like that's the weird part about this town. That I'm very like you. Just I, I just started doing stand up a few months ago. I've been doing this podcast for about six years, but my life really hasn't changed much. I don't really. I didn't really go out on the road with Joey. Mm-hmm. I would really just do the podcast. So I was in this little bubble, but now stepping into oh, you have to be out there. You have to start getting shows and meet people and. You do see the underside of it, but it's nice when there's people who are on your side like Sam. Yeah, well, you and I are are very lucky that – well, we're just very lucky that we get to – at least when you get introduced to somebody, they say, hey, this is Lee – He's Joey's guy. Hey, you know, you're a little tiny little bit of a of a made man. Oh, I I am yeah, so lucky. And that's the like and I joke with Joey and he I I at first I I didn't tell him I thought it would hurt his feelings, but he's I've I've done a lot of great podcasts with a lot of nice people, but my best like the best person that I've ever that I've worked with in this town is a 50-year-old guy who went to jail for kidnapping with a machine gun. And Joey has opened my, like, he's changed my life. He's opened up my, I, if I hadn't met Joey, I don't know if I'd still be in L.A. I came out here to be a TV editor. Mm-hmm. I was doing that for a, a few years. But just the fact that, yeah, just by knowing that I, 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 I've put in the time with Joey, people are unbelievably nice to me. I, I have no business being on these shows or yeah. no meeting the people that I've gotten to meet, and it's just, it's amazing. All that having been said, though, yes, you get introduced and you're, this is so-and-so, he knows so-and-so. It's, it is a tiny, like a shitty Goodfellas kind of thing, but you, I have yet to, I've been actually amazed at, okay, put it this way, I've heard comedians criticize Pete Holmes's TV show because they're like, this is this fantasy world where this comedian who's trying to break through the ranks magically has comedy fairies who are huge names giving him advice and helping him out along the way. And that is actually, that has been my experience in stand-up so far, and I, I know it has been yours as well. And when um backstage at a show and there's four people who are name headline people and fucking me, and they don't make me feel like I don't belong in the room and actually want to just have a normal conversation. Not a, not, not a, a, a suck-up thing, not some shitty Hollywood plastic thing that everybody seems to think about Hollywood that I think there's way less of than people would, would imagine. Just actual nice, you know, I just did a show with uh, Sam and Jessamay Peluso, and I'd never met her in my entire life. She's a total fucking juggernaut. She's going around doing shows. She's got a wonderful stand-up career. And she's just this fucking nice chick who wants to hang out and have a beer with you. And I feel like she would have been just about the same to me if I'd just been somebody like in the crowd or something like that. It's it's a way it's it's weird because they all brag about how fucked up they are, but it's an incredibly nice community. Oh, and it's it's very nice. Jessima is great, and I think I don't know. I mean, you've you've said you've been doing this your show for what eleven or twelve years. This piece of shit. No, I've been doing this for about a year. My uh, my real job for over a decade, and that's. I feel like, especially for people getting into into broadcasting or, or stand up, a lot of times when you meet those sort of people, a lot of people feel like they need to fill dead air for some reason. They just feel like there can never be any sort of silence, and 
you and I have diff- have uh, similar roles on on the show, and I think it's it's important to understand, especially in this town, to understand your role and understand where you are, and to just, especially in a room full of four headliners. Don't go in there running bits or don't go in there oh, asking no. a thousand questions or asking to be on shows. Just be happy to be there. Ask them about the, a sports team or just sit there and listen to them talk. And, yeah. and that's what's, especially when you're on those shows as a, a young comedian, I just feel blessed and, and to be able to learn from them mm-hmm. and just to learn. Like, yeah. Something Joey has always taught me is tipping. He he gives people. He, <laughs> so I don't. I know very very little about Joey, and that does not surprise me in the slightest. He gives everybody a twenty dollar bill. <laughs> it's I, I I aspire to be on that level uh-huh. of of to have that level of money someday. But mm-hmm. even in that show, maybe in I'll San, start tipping my guests. Oh God, I would love that. <laughs> um, but even in that show in Santa Barbara, we got free we got free drinks, which always feels good. Mm-hmm. But I I I gave the bartender a twenty dollar bill, and I like it just. Just learning how to act and how to behave, so when I go back and that bartender sees me again, uh-huh. they're happy to see. Me. Like I don't want, I don't want to ever. Yeah, it, it actually held me back from doing comedy a little bit. Is I didn't, I don't want to just go somewhere and have someone be like, "Oh, this is Joey's guy. Let's just put him on. Then Joey will be nice to us, or we'll laugh." So he tells Joey to put us on the show. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go there and do my own thing and 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 get a legitimate response and be a real comedian if I'm going to do it. And so, I know you're putting the time in. You know what? It's uh the more I put the time in the more like the less I know about comedy. Yeah, oh, which I'm, is I, weird. I'm 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 a, like a year and a half ahead of you and I'm pretty much in the same boat. You know what's really fucking funny? Two things. First of all, I've been watching in bits and pieces this uh there's a video I found on Reddit of Ralphie May giving um a class on how to do comedy oh yeah you watch watch, that i've watched bits and pieces years ago when he did it i have to watch the whole thing again it's pretty it's pretty awesome because it's like the real ralphie may the real ralphie may based on my very limited interaction with him was a total sweetheart but he's talking this is a private thing people had paid to be there i don't think this video was released at the time and he's just like listen motherfucker you want to fucking make it in comedy he's like you're gonna fucking do it and it's he's just cutting to the chase and you realize that he was a business person and and um, had uh, a, an, an approach to what he was doing, and took he, he took the business of being silly very very seriously. And he talked about the whole thing about leave a good impression at every club. But the, the other thing is, in Santa Barbara, right? I gave that bartender a ten, thinking the exact same thing you were thinking, Absolutely. not even not even realizing that I was not uh, I wasn't hanging with the Lee Syatts oh, of the world. No, trust me. <laughs> I, I we got one I think we each got one drink and you bought a, me a slice of pizza. Uh-huh. So it, like we did more than enough, but it's and I I've heard people say this uh, a lot that they miss the early days of comedy where we are right now. And I can see where they're coming from because I'm like I'm still at the stage where I'm paying most of the time to get my stage time, mm-hmm. at least a drink or uh, even just five dollars to do five minutes. But what I've been, I feel like I almost audited comedy the last six years because I've gotten to see how every level, from opener to middle to headliner, how they navigate their careers and how you have to sell tickets and how. You have to go on social media before, and you can't go on social media only at on Saturday night at midnight because no one who's buying your tickets is going to be up. And it's 
I'm very excited when I get to do shows in front of real audiences. It's a huge difference. But I'm also trying to enjoy just when I get to go up in front of six other comedians and just... I don't care. I'm, I don't. I don't want anybody to show up. I hope they don't show up because I'm not. It's not good material yet. But it's. Uh, it definitely is a business, and it's. And it, I don't know about you, but that's one of the things that that held me back is hearing these people like Ralphie May say they have to put in fifteen, twenty years before they're even halfway decent. I'm four months in. <laughs> Thinking about 20, <laughs> nineteen years and eight months to go is. It's a long thing. It's a long time to think about in your head but yeah as you were saying it goes by like that well no matter what i think more importantly that time is gonna go by right you're gonna wake up someday and it's gonna be 15 years from now and at that point you can either be a, a rock solid professional comedian or you could be uh, you know an astrophysicist or you could be a shittier version of who you are right now exactly and when you look at it that way if you if you if human beings could just figure out a way to always like live rationally and live in the future i, I talked to pete holmes about this that it, it just pretty much the it seems to me to me the sanest way to live your life is to constantly be taking on massive projects because if you uh, you know run ultra marathons or whatever it might take you 18 months or uh it might take you 19 lee <laughs> no it might, it might take me 20 <laughs> You get to live with that. You get to live with the, the, the knowledge and the memory of the fact that you did that for far longer than the time that you put into it. You should always be taking on humongous, you know, rewarding projects, assuming they're mildly attainable. Right. Especially, especially if we're going to be out here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to do so. You have to justify being away from my, fa- from my mom and uh-huh. my family. But then, I don't know about you, I, I struggle a lot with overthinking. I, I I try to plan and overthink everything, and I, I was thinking about it the other day. Everything that I do off the cuff seems to not. It doesn't always go exactly to plan or exactly the way I'd like it to go, but it doesn't go as terribly as the th- way I think it's going to go if I overplan it. Are you talking about comedy or just life? Anything. Like mm-hmm. I just I moved. I I left uh, Boston less than a week after graduating. I moved out here without an apartment. I I just got a job. I had I was lucky enough to have a job lined up. I email. I f- wrote Joey a Facebook message out of the blue one day at that first job, and I just I never expected to be here. I didn't I didn't plan on doing stand up. I it's a it's a little ex moving company office in a Seven Eleven strip mall is where I started stand up. So it's. Oh yeah, and I'm, based on your advice, I've been there now as well. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it's the best, the fourth wall. But best is a strong word. Oh, it's. <laughs> you can. I just like that I don't have to be there for four hours and and not know if I'm getting up. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, it's it's a perfect little open mic. Like the past couple of years, I've been trying to either some start some businesses or or just think of how I want my life. I I don't know. Every ever, ever since I was little, I always feel like I'm behind. Like I'm 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 not where I'm supposed to be. And none of my ideas were really getting off the ground. I would do one for a little bit, and then oh, I, I find an issue with it and switch to a different one. What's, what's an example? Ah, uh, so many of them. Uh, for a, for a second, I thought about opening up uh, some studio space to do podcasting, but it's so expensive out here. And then, like I, 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 was, I talk about this with my therapist actually tomorrow. But like for I get in my own, I'll come up with ideas to get in my own way. Like once I thought of. Oh, wouldn't it be cool to open up like a Dave and Buster's for but for gambling? 
just because I like gambling, but I don't like spending all that money. It's a decent idea, maybe, but I don't. How am I going to open up a Dave and Buster? I don't have millions of dollars, so I just come up with weird, stupid ideas sometimes. So the idea would be what? Small wagers? No. Uh, well, well, let's see if Dave and Buster's is out there. Uh, the idea would be like you go in and you buy ten thousand dollars worth of chips for sixty bucks, a hundred bucks. Oh, okay. So you can make big wagers, right? Fake, and then who knows? Like I was even thinking you could get if you win chips, maybe they could have. You know how Dave and Buster's has the prize room, mm-hmm. but for kids, but it'd be adults. Maybe like a hundred thousand dollars would be an iPod. I don't know how it would work, but see, and that's if you won big, you'd get a cool prize that was worth more than the money you'd actually put into it. Probably not. Well, yeah, maybe. So they would just fucking Chuck E. Cheese you, and they would you would spend oh yeah thirty dollars, and you'd get something that cost three dollars. We have to make call a, that a W. We have to make a profit here. But <laughs> and, and, and this is just are, where my brain are, we, goes. are we gambling on on like Jurassic the Jurassic Park video game, or are we gambling on we could no, but I, my, Florida my, State. Yeah, my, well, I don't know. And see, that's the thing is, I don't. I come up with these ideas, but I don't really look into them legally. So, like, I, yeah, there would seem to be some legal ramifications. Like, I think, like, just table games and all that. Like, that's the thing. Like, you'd have to worry about people lit- like putting in real bets, like outside of, like, if you couldn't have sports betting, because then they'd probably try to try to bet real money. Well, but. So who cares? People could bet real money on the Jurassic Park video game at Dave and Buster's now. That's my favorite game. Not their concern. Up. I know somebody else whose yeah favorite game it is. He's six. I love. <laughs> is that your son? It is. Yeah. Oh, no, I hang out with a ton of six year olds. <laughs> I my favorite growing up was actually that Simpsons one, like that stand up game where we could be Bart and you had the little skateboard and you could hit the guys in the head. No, am I the only one who played that game? I'm like. 20 years older than you. So you, you didn't go to arcades? <laughs> I did. But we still had, when I was going to arcades, the highlight of arcades when I got out of the arcade scene was um, was Punch-Out. Oh, okay. Not Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. <laughs> Mike Tyson's Punch-Out was for, they were about the same time. That Mike Tyson was for Nintendo. Punch-Out it wasn't branded. Okay, got it. But I, Yeah, but you were... And you were you actually got to be about roughly the same human size as the guy that you were fighting, not like two feet tall. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, you were this see-through green guy. See, yeah, I must have missed it was, that. It was wildly. I I miss it so much. I miss all. I miss movie theaters. They're still there. No, they're not. What are you talking about? They're there, but it's twenty dollars a ticket now. Well, that's true. But <laughs> it's just like that. That was actually to this day, and I love I love what I'm doing now. Working in a movie theater, I think, might have been my favorite job. Of all time. Better than current, just goobers <sighs> and free movies? If I could make, like, a living, like, $100,000 at a movie theater, I, I but not being a manager. I don't want the responsibility. Hell no. I just That's want... That's a high-pressure job. Yeah. That, that'll break a man. I just... <laughs> oh, my... I can't... There's a lot of people who put in 20, 30... I still have a buddy who's a GM of, a, of the theater I worked at in Boston. But those, like those, were my best, like the happiest times. I don't. Do you have a high school job that you miss? High school? No. Let's see. I was a paper boy. That was a miserable job. And then adults replaced kids. That was fucked up. Yeah, they they, they just have them in trucks now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was a delivery guy one summer for this um, uh, Korean florist in Manhattan. I went to high school in Manhattan. Okay. And all I did was sit in. Brutal midtown gridlock with uh, this uh, guy from Bangladesh named Mizan. And we had a war this entire summer over who controlled the stereo. 
only he was the driver and I was the guy who actually had to get out and deliver the shit. So he won constantly. And it was just these unbelievably terrible cassettes from Bangladesh. You're not a huge fan of Bangladesh music? The one song I kind of liked was the guy goes, <laughs> No one can dance with me. No one dare take a chance with me. I say, anybody who's going to dance with me, I want to see him on the floor. I want to see him cry him on his knees. He won't be dancing anymore. And then it goes back to Bangladeshi. I was going to say, I didn't expect it to be in English. That was why it was the best one. <laughs> the only one you could understand? <laughs> I feel like I was at Temple. Like that's At, at Temple, I only liked the English parts because I had no idea what was happening. Yeah, right, exactly. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's not funny. That was a terrible job. I was a doorman. I was a night overnight doorman in high school on oh Park God. Avenue. How, what was it like growing up in New York, though? That must I didn't have grow been up awesome. in New York. I grew up in in suburban New Jersey. Oh, My family but, still lives there, and, and I went to high school. I used to take the bus to into the city every day. But but you'd be an overnight doorman in in the city. Yeah. Yes. Uh, by the time I was in between junior and senior year of high school, I got that job and yeah my the great thing about being in the city is i've kind of pulled this thing off where my parents couldn't really enforce a curfew for me because it it, it took me like over an hour to get home and i right. convinced them well so my sister when she was the same age older sister had to be home at like 10 i was like you can't make me come home at 10 i'd have to get on a bus at like eight forty-five. that's not fair and they're like you're right okay you can come home at 11 but my parents couldn't stay awake until 11 you see, you were smart. So I had no curfew for all of high school. So by the time I was actually getting paid to be out all night, that was a step in the right direction. Oh, that's. I've always thought living in New York would be the best. Like that's. It's pretty good. I'm I grew up in lie. Boston, so like that. New York mm-hmm. was yeah. always the goal. Yeah, you guys are like the AAA team, pretty much. But <laughs> God, I I do see. Here's the thing. I love. Bo- I miss Boston. You can walk around Boston. It's. <laughs> I love. Trust me, I can't. Are you a Yankee fan? A sports fan? I, or I think we might have talked about this. I think you said you're not a huge sports fan. No, I'm. I'm definitely a sports fan. I, I, have, I have trouble paying attention to even like a half inning of baseball nowadays. Right. But as a kid, I, there was no bigger Yankee fan than me. Oh man, that I still take. I still take it seriously. Like you come out here and people are like, oh, now I like. I root for the Dodgers. I can't, if you were wearing a Yankee hat, I would have had to mention. I'm I, now. I feel like I should have worn a Red Sox shirt. Just to support, like to support the team, but yeah, I can't, I can't. I, I get, I have T-Mobile, so now I have like the, it streams the whole season. Yeah, but I, I don't, I know like three people on the team now. It's sad. Yeah, I used to really care. I read Bill Simmons's book, even though I had read all the columns as he was writing them. When he put them all together into what is it now? I can die happy, or I can die happy now about this Red Sox coming back from three zero against oh, the Yankees. Oh, I have to read that. I haven't heard about that. Are you familiar with Bill Simmons? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. This is when he still had his fastball. This is it was incredible, and uh, this is all his best stuff about his real pet. You know, this this was his subject, the Red Sox. Right. You know, it, now he's more of an NBA guy and uh, a Hollywood guy. And I literally read the entire book until the Yankees were up three zero in that series, and then I was just like, okay, that was good. Closed it and put it away. I can't. You guys have what twenty World Series, something like that, and then and now they mean nothing. <laughs> uh, but you guys beat us the year like I'll never forget that Aaron Boone home run off Tim Wakefield yeah. the year before I think it was oh three because no it was oh two because I think we won in oh three. Baseball can get boring because there's so, there's so many games and it's such a long game. Yeah. But st- when it gets down to the playoffs like mm-hmm. that, it's so much fun. I love I love going to Red Sox Yankees games and yelling at people and I I've never like, I ne- I'm never gonna get into a fight. 
but just seeing other people, other tough people who get in, like just get, get into yelling matches with people. I, I think I love it. It. I just don't have the time that I used to have. I've really gotten into the NBA nowadays, but and even those games, I've, I I haven't watched a free throw in real time in years. Give me a fucking break. Oh yeah, but uh, so the condensed game later at night. No, I just I'll watch them later and I'll just fast forward through myself, you know, skip commercials and what have you. But um, one of the bricks in the wall of me not giving a shit about baseball anymore was when Johnny Damon signed with the Yankees. Like, you're not a fan. Well, no, just if free agents are just going to move freely between the Yankees and the Red Sox, then what the fuck are we getting so upset about? And I know Boggs yeah. had already. I know Boggs had already come down, but I thought that there was that element of Boggs sticking it to the Sox or something. I was just like, God, we care about us versus them way fucking more than these guys do. Like, oh. did, did the Yankees even give, like, did Johnny Damon have to walk into the, the you know, the um, the clubhouse in spring training the first day and go, listen, guys, I know we've had our differences, but, you know, now we're all on the same team, and I hope you find out that I may have been a Red Sox, but I'm still a quality dude deep down. Johnny Damon, you know? No, that didn't happen. They were like fucking chest bump. Let's go to a strip club and pay for sex. Yeah, and I... I was thinking about, I don't think, like, in my, not that I would ever have the chance to be a, a professional baseball player, but I, I, I thought about when I was younger, I was like, I couldn't play for another team but the Red Sox. What, what if I got drafted to the Yankees? And I guess when you're making $20 million a year, you're just like, oh, I, I don't care what shirt I'm wearing. I'm just going to play baseball. Yeah. And well, you've embraced it as a business. And, and, and that's the thing. I think they have contempt for, for fans. They're all smart enough not to say it, but. I, and I, I mean, I've been to games. I understand it. I can't imagine having my my entire life and my job under that much scrutiny. Because I, I don't know. You must get some angry twitters or something every now and then. It, but it's very, can it's very uh, confined to just oh they listen to my show this and that. If it's I don't not, look at my phone, it's like it. Yeah, it never happened. Right. It's not in the newspaper. It's not an entire city or state or in New England. For me, it's an entire area, like in the tri-state area for for you. I can't imagine having people write down how much money I'm getting paid or even just the the idea. Like, could you imagine if Sirius XM was just like, yeah, we're going to trade you to New York or we're going to trade you to a, a team, a radio station, a radio group in uh Italy like we're just going to trade you like that's that's a crazy way to have to live your life yeah the whole trading not not knowing where you're going to be thing agreed but as far as the scrutiny I think that's one of the reasons why I understand why the players live in a bubble and why they probably do have at least some mild contempt many of them for the fans is because you're still looking at it like you're a regular person like you're a fan and how you would deal with it at that point you're you're in the brotherhood Right. Well, didn't Kev- you said you got it? We're getting into the NBA. Mm-hmm. Didn't Kevin Durant get caught like having a fake yes. account just that so he can comment back? Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great idea. Well, yeah, I was talking to I was at so I was at a Clippers games, Clippers Spurs the other night with my wife, and we were talking about man, the players must what what must they say about us in the huddle because you know you're watching a game and that's what you're there for, and ten seconds later there's a guy who's balancing folding chairs on his chin and people are going crazy for him. Right. You know, like who the fuck are these animals who come to these these games? I have, you know, I have a feeling they don't totally respect the subtle intricacies of my craft if they also like this guy. 
It's it's almost like uh like the Coliseum. It feels like sometimes it is, especially in the city. It's kind of weird to have like a baseball feel. Like it, it, it's it's all grass and it yeah. feels like you're in a park, but then you're in a city and it just feels like where like what am, what are we doing here? Especially as I get older, I'm like these guys are six, seven years, eight years younger than me playing right now. I feel kind of weird and creepy sometimes following them. Like mm-hmm. not fully yet. That only gets worse. I, I, and I don't even follow college like, sports. That's yeah. rooting for children. Oh my god! That's, that's like having your 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 day or your weekend or your month like elevated or ruined by what children do. They were just in high school a year ago. <laughs> that is, it's creepy. Uh, did you feel They're like barely legal athletes? They can't. They can't drink. <laughs> they can't drink. And there's a, a spon- They're sponsored by Budweiser, and people are betting millions of mm-hmm. dollars on them. Mm-hmm. It's. It's crazy what we what we do. The Durant thing. I don't, are you an NBA guy at all? Uh, a little bit with the Celtics. Okay. See, man, I'm a Nets fan. Okay. So it's Celtics are. Thank you for all those picks. Yeah. yeah that year. Let's here. Let, I actually wrote down some questions. Let's <laughs> just move on. So you were talking about uh, the reaction. You know, you get feedback you get from people on Twitter, good, bad, or otherwise. It's funny because we live in this world now where there's all these little podcast like ecosystems right. that, and radio shows that have their inside jokes. And when you, I do a stand up show, all of a sudden, um, my ecosystem mixes with somebody else's ecosystem. So, I the first time I did a show with you, all of a sudden I'm looking at my at replies and they're shared with you, and it's just like, "Go get them, you fucking Jew." And I'm and I'm like having no idea who anybody's <laughs> even talking about. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So what's what's going on here? I guess this is a new world that I don't know anything about. So what is the flying Jew thing all about? You know what? It's I wish I had a, a better answer for this. When I first met Joey, he used to call me the director from Israel. I've never directed anything. <laughs> I've never wanted to be a director. <laughs> I've been to Israel a couple of times, but I wasn't like I wasn't. He would say that, but he like if I was ready, like if now I feel like I could pretend to be from Israel and play along with the joke. And one day the fly, he just called me the Flying Jew, and it 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 spawned out from there. Now I'm, it's kind of evolved. I'm the Christ Killer now, so you'll see a lot of that. It's. It does, oh, I may have seen some of that in my in my Twitter as well. And it it does make because you, sometimes you're like, oh, are these people being rude or the, this and that? And especially when they for the Flying Jew, it's almost like a term of endearment now, right? Uh, yeah, and it's funny too because um, I'm actually from a couple towns away from where Joey's from in New Jersey. Obviously, a very different world than where right Joey's yeah. from, but it is a very um, particularly he's like a, a generation older than me. It's not racist; it's super racial. Oh yeah, you can reduce people to a stereotype instantly, and that and that if you're a certain kind of ball busting guy, and that just completely flies in a way that I think a young generation has a hard time wrapping their brain around. Yeah, it's, and it, I, I always grew up with the uh, the belief that if they don't give you a nickname or if they don't joke around with you, they don't really like you. Like they, that's they, an East Coast mentality. And I, I I never, especially with comedians, I don't really get offended. Just generally, but it's. I don't know if it, it, it feels it feels nice. I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be working in, a, in an environment where people couldn't make a Jewish joke or mm-hmm. or we had to just, we had to be worried about what we were going to say. I, I, I like that that I, I, we can joke around and 
and he call he he calls himself like a, like a fat cute. Like we're both fat guys just hanging out, and he he uh, I don't know. It, it, I think it's the best. I think I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, it's funny because people say that we live in this incredibly PC culture, and we do, and the PC police and the social justice warriors. But it's really only if you get to a certain level where you're on that that uh, the radar, and and I th- you'll know what I mean. I'm sure you follow a ton of comedians online, and right. there's certain things that they say that you don't even give a second thought. That if uh, if Amy Schumer said that, it m- would probably end her career. If George Clooney said that, it would be the scandal of the century. If Donald Trump said that, he would be impeached. And it's funny, uh, it, like, es- do you know Esther Koo? I do, yeah. I've I've been following that this week. It's crazy. It's really on. really funny that she's in, and she's been on this show, and she's you know she's uh, Korean, and she just talks shit about Asian people and white people, and it's funny and it's harmless. And I guess she finally got big enough that the New York Post is like, "What the fuck?" You know, backlash against a racist comedian, and she hasn't changed in the slightest. People just started paying attention to her, and I don't know what I don't know what we're gonna do because unless every single person who wants to be in entertainment or public life or have like a respectable career has to censor themselves from the moment they're an adult to make sure there's never the gotcha moment against them. Yes, we will lose some hate, but we'll lose a lot more fun. Oh, we're gonna lose a lot of fun, but I think what's great, especially with Esther Kua, in a way that I haven't seen with some of these other comedians is she's always been the same person. She's very true to herself. She doesn't try to change it or hide it. So I've seen a lot of people come to her defense, which I think is is important. Is you never want to portray something that you're not and then when some when you say something off color, then oh then they can come after you. If you've been this way for the entire time you've been a public persona or every since you've had a Twitter account, yeah, it's kind of hard to come. Oh yeah. I, I said that and that's what I believe it's right. And you have to, uh, go, like just going back to what I said about how Joey's my, the best person that I've worked with. You can have, you can have, especially in this industry, you can have people who are very nice to you when they see you and, and, and they pretend like you're best friends. But then as soon as you leave the company or the job or as soon as you leave the room, they're talking bad about you. I'd rather have a world where Esther Koo can make a joke, mm-hmm. but I know that if I see Esther Koo, she's going to give me a big hug and she'll put me on a show or we'll talk and have a good time. And I know that I'm talking to the real person. Yeah, it, and that and I think that's what's great about comedy. I, I, there definitely are some groups in comedy that are a little bit more PC safe, and I'm lucky enough not to really hang in those crowds. It's going to be interesting. To, this is going to have to come to some kind of head because not everybody is going to like. Yeah, if you are <clears throat> really living on the edge of what is acceptable, even in comedy. You might find that there is a ceiling to how far that you can go, but if you do shit that is doesn't even raise an eyebrow in a comedy club, and then you start getting a little bit, and these are not, I mean, comedy clubs are, who's in comedy clubs? It's the exact same people who are in bars, who are in nightclubs, who are in restaurants, it's just normal fucking people going out, they, they could have gone to a movie and said they went to a comedy show, it's not this like freak world that where anything goes it's it's pretty representative of the general population and you can make that joke in that room and nobody even looks up from their phone 
but now all of a sudden you get to a certain level of of fame and you need to defend that and you know whitewash yourself and whatever it, it that that can't hold that can if if the reality of how human beings interact with each other and what they deem acceptable in actual face-to-face human interaction no longer matches up at all with what is acceptable online online's going to lose i don't know how but it has to i hope you're right it's and it, it's gone to the point i don't I, I don't like listening to podcasts where people are like, oh, everyone's mean online or everyone ha- everyone complains, and I get it. But I think I think you're absolutely right. I think there's something about people... Ha- it's almost like they, they have to write something outlandish or say something crazy online mm-hmm. to get noticed or to, to have anyone respond to them. And if you're just out at a comedy club and you're with... I've gone to comedy shows alone, but even if you're with friends or just people who have something in common with you who like the same comedian i've 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 met people from texas from colorado from all over the country from every different economic point of view but when something is funny and it's you can't you don't have a choice like i like you don't have the choice to overthink it mm-hmm. or to look too far into the joke it's just funny or it's not yeah your body laughs before your brain really gets a chance to analyze it it's i think it's better than any like i love movies but i love live comedy i think it's when it's good and you're having a great time there's nothing better i i I try i try to go every night if i'm not performing i try to go watch it or even go go back and watch a special but even specials they lose something for me i i i if i'm not if I'm not going to go see it live, I actually prefer I'll go drive around and listen to like an old album on my in my car. I love listening to albums. That's how I got into stand up is comedy CDs and driving around with my friends or my mom and my brother mm-hmm. and just listening to albums the whole day. It's I think it's the best. One of the things Ralphie May said on that talk that I that I was watching the video of is and everybody is going to stand up for their line of work, their right. chosen medium, obviously, so take it with a grain of salt, but he said stand-up comedy is arguably the hardest art, it's the least respected, and you have to do it all by yourself. So when you add it up, it's it's really kind of a thing what people are accomplishing, and the reason why he said that it's it's the least respected is because it does lose something when it goes into a special, and you can appreciate what is great about rock and roll by listening to a rock and roll record you can appreciate what's great about and maybe it's one of the reasons why stage acting doesn't have the same you know panache in our culture that movie acting does is because you you have to be in the room you had to be there when that guy was on fire or that girl was on fire to to really appreciate the greatness of what they do i can remember doing a, a little thing one time at the improv lab which is like a bar with a couple chairs in it right next right. to the proper you know it's part of the proper improv it was fucking embarrassing cuz craig robinson was in the main room and the main room was fucking it was pulsating with laughter i mean it was just there's an energy to it it like, was it, it was throbbing with laughter and the involuntary gut reaction of people losing control of themselves laughing. And I fucking, I saw him walk out of the room and it was like watching, it was like in the 80s movie when the guy finally gets laid and he comes out of the room and his shirt is like ripped open and he's got like lipstick kisses all over his face. He was like getting out of this mob that he had just created. 
And 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 the thing about a show like that is, even if he's doing the same material that he might have done a week ago, mm-hmm. God, I hope he wasn't improvising that because we have no hope if he was. And, but there's some there's something in the show that is is unique to that show. Yeah, there's something that can't be recreated, and that's I love movies and TV, but they spend months and years perfecting it and getting each little detail down. There's something different with every comedy show based on the audience, based on how the comic is feeling, just based that I think it's so great that it can be so raw and be so each time you feel like you're getting a, like a special performance that will never happen again, which is why not I don't think he's going to hear this, but I was just home uh, visiting my dad a, a month or two ago. And we tried to watch a Jerry Seinfeld special, one that I've seen before, the one where uh I'm doing this for one last time. He's putting the jokes in the coffin at the beginning of the special. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't hold up as much anymore because it felt almost like a performance, as as like something he had pre-planned, and not like when you go and see a show with Sam Tripoli and there's a group of foreign women up front who just aren't even smiling or acknowledging that comedy's going on. Who potentially don't speak English, right? Who potentially don't probably don't speak English, and Sam who's been doing it for 20 years can just masterfully just not probably do almost no material mm-hmm. and just make as if I, if I as I'm I'm very uh what's the word I'm selfish if, if I'm laughing I'm I'm happy so if sometimes like if even if the crowd's not into it if something like that with Sam happens and I and I'll remember it for the rest of my life. And I'm just we're just dying in the la- in yeah, the back yeah. eating pizza. You and me are back there eating pizza, and Sam gets off being like, "I'm gonna quit comedy forever." And we're like, "That was the that was the greatest thing because you had to you had to work on your feet for 25 minutes for something that nobody could have possibly planned, which is a table full of uh, I think foreign women who refused to admit that they were foreign or something, and um, a very enthusiastic fan of his conspiracy theory podcast. That's an an overly uh, too enthusiastic. Yeah, right. That, and that's the part that I think we even because I, I love going to plays, but for people out there who haven't done it, just remembering what I want to say for a five minute set. Sometimes you blank or you don't you forget a piece. Yeah, to remember an hour long set, and to do it off the top of your head with no cut. No, oh, let's take it again from the top. It's when when someone has honed that skill, and and they're that much of a technician out there doing comedy. It's 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 like it's it's an art. It's it's there's yeah. no other way to put it. Yeah, it's a wonder to behold. Obviously, I have to talk to you about drugs. Let's do it. Uh, what what was like? What was your drug habit like, if I may so call it? Before you met Joey. Very little. I, I had taken uh, one uh, edible brownie before, and I was on the beach in Maine, and I sat outside, like five inches outside of the umbrella for eight hours. I turned purple, but that oh. was like that was a homemade brownie, <laughs> and that was it. I real I had smoked a couple times. I was. Oh, you weren't even like a regular smoker. You know what I? I like I said, I overthink things. I used to always imagine that if I went to buy weed. It'd be an undercover cop the first time, right? So when I moved out here, they have the medical cards for forty bucks, so I got that. But I, it's just part of 
That's what Joey does. And if you're going to hang out with Joey, you're going to start taking edibles. But he he calls it training. I call it <laughs> deceit. He he tells jokes, and especially he, it would make Ralphie die. He would take a 90-milligram edible, which is still a lot for a lot of people, take that wrapper and put that wrapper around a 180-milligram edible. And be like, oh, I'm only giving you 90 milligrams. It was almost 200. Yeah, that ain't training. No, that's... There's a lot of words for that. <laughs> Some of them are criminal. No, but it's... And if, and if it was anyone else, you'd get mad at them. But I... I like the amount that I I've probably laughed more than ninety percent of people on this earth. It's just, and it's gone. It's gone to the point now where I when I tell people how many milligrams we used to eat, we're actually taking a little bit of a break now. But when I, I think we, that's good for you guys, <laughs> it was it was a couple years, and I I I, I the most I ever took was three thousand milligrams, which is uh, someone someone I told that to someone the other day, and they were like, "Isn't that just three grams?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, I guess it is." And it just—I don't, you know—it it doesn't even seem weird to me. It's just what I've been, what I do. Right. Pe- children who are raised in cults often have similar <laughs> stories. <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> with just with edible, it, you know, it's. And the, I, when you brought up Ralphie May, I thought you were going to bring up like we did a, we've done a bunch of we did LSD once together. I like that's something. As, you and Ralphie. As, yeah. With with we, Joey. Yeah, on a podcast it was. Why do you guys take drugs that take so long to kick in on a podcast? Why don't you at least take them beforehand? Because then, then we get. Because I'll never forget. It. He had this stupid yellow, little yellow, and not stupid. His his child made it, but it was a yellow uh, bracelet, and he he kept and he was. You were saying people have an aura or an, an energy with Craig Robinson. Ralphie just had this loving energy. Yes. But through during this experience, which I, I like I said, I had done, I had smoked weed a couple times back in Boston. I'd never done LSD. He would just he would be like, oh, focus on the yellow. It'll calm you down. And it would. It would calm me down during this experience. But then towards the end, he made it wiggle like it was a snake and had it jump at me. <laughs> and I've never been so scared but so laughed so hard in my life. That, like, I I would never do that in my entire like if I if I was running my life if I if I was gonna make all these choices I wouldn't mm-hmm. do that on a right. on a podcast yeah but it just so it, theoretically you are running your life like the, in theory <laughs> that's what I'll, I'll pretend but it's uh <laughs> I, it's it just opened me up to so many fun experiences and I, I don't I don't like to do it that much but when it, when it, when we do it it's fun like getting to do edibles with Danny Brown or Taking, uh, like I've 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 gotten to take uh, smoke with Andrew Dice Clay and just it's, and that's a weird part. It's there's a a little bit of a stigma in comedy of oh you don't want to drink or do that too much, but it, is there? I I don't know. I you don't want to you know you never want to be the person who can't perform because they're too out of it or 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 they it, I don't want it to turn into a problem, but just to to get the laughs going, I, I think it, it helps. Well, you're not going to do it before you get up on stage. No, I can't. Like, do you perform stoned at all? I've done it like twice, and it doesn't work out. Right? It's my brain just doesn't work as quickly on it. No, there's two kinds of. I, I don't know what this. I don't know if I could name this person. I was at a, a show one time, and a really big dude. There was uh, Speedweed around because Speedweed sponsors oh, he, a lot of comedy. Oh yeah, shows. Gino's the best. Right, and. This comic just sat backstage and just smoked as quickly and as much as a human being 
possibly could from the time he got there until he went up a couple hours later. And you would not judge this person to, uh, and none of this person has a clean cut image, but you wouldn't judge this person to be on anything at all. If I told you that guy was backstage drinking water, you would absolutely believe it. That's a kind of guy that, uh, that's a kind of guy. Right. And it, and maybe you're not that guy. I know for for damn sure I'm not. No, and I I'm definitely not. And but that's that's kind of it. It that's what I am trying to avoid. I don't want to. I don't want to have become reliant on. I don't want to have to have a drink or have to smoke before I go on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't want. I don't want to have to tell like if I'm in ten years headlining a club. I don't want to have to tell the middle oh you can't smoke a joint before the show or it's it's a it's a it's a, a fine line you have to walk because i i think i don't know i mean i don't i don't don't think i saw you drinking before the show i think maybe you had one drink after uh i didn't because i i had to drive, drive home. to santa yeah, to yeah. Santa Barbara. i'm not a, i'm not I a big never, drinker Are i've you? never i used to be and i'm not anymore and i think if i started doing stand-up when i was 25 for damn sure I would have been the guy who's like if I'm going to get up and tell jokes in front of a crowd what am I insane of course I'm going to have a few drinks but at this point I'm kind of you know they say in school you should um you should take the test the way you studied so if I've you were that, if you yeah. were if you were drunk when you were studying you should actually have a drink before you go in cuz there's a drunk part of your brain that's keep it supposedly I don't I'm not preparing to do stand up drunk and and if I were to uh, you know, when I'm sitting around writing or what have you, and if I were to get up and have a drink, I'd be in a completely different mind space. By the time I have a drink, my brain, uh, that is me telling my brain, like, I have a child, I'm married, like, I have boring responsibilities, I gotta do the dishes, my sink is currently backed up. Like, right. when I have a drink, that is me telling my brain, good boy, like, you did good today, you're done. You can take a break. And that's, do you ever smoke before you write? I can't smoke weed at all. It made me, I almost had trouble falling asleep last night because of how uh, nervous and sweaty palm-y it made me to watch a couple of clips of you guys on YouTube. Oh, that's so fun. I know Wheeler Walker well enough that to watch him take a bong hit is like, oh, I've, t- I've been in the same room as that guy. I can actually kind of, I'm really kind of there. This is making me very uncomfortable. And I used to smoke all the time, but. See, and that's, I can't, sometimes I'll, I'll try to smoke and write at the same time and it's not it, like I don't. I haven't gotten to the point yet where it's actually funny. Like I'll look at, back at what I wrote when I was stoned. I'm like that. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. That's, Try Adderall. You know I've wanted to forever, yeah. and I it, it's not it's not great. No, I, no. It, I I think it works really well for a lot of people. Okay, I and, and that's what Opiates? I've heard. No opiates. I haven't done. Oh, any I think of about them. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all, that's. That's the only thing Just I can't. Half, a half of something? I can't do. Oh, okay. I, was, I thought you were going to try to get I'm me I'm not telling needles. you to fucking bang it up. I can't do that. I, I freak out with <laughs> I don't needles. see you as a smack comic. I still have to ask for butterfly needles. I don't know. It's like little <laughs> baby needles. <laughs> when you're, oh, I get. I freak out at doctor's offices. I don't like it at all. <laughs> uh, we got to go. It has been an hour. Where has oh, wow. the time gone? Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming by. This was fun, buddy. Uh, LeeSyatt.com S-Y-A-T-T.com Yeah? Yes, sir. And Lee Syatt on Twitter and Instagram. Beautiful. Do you have a podcast of your own? Uh, no, I've, I've, uh, I've had them You've in had the past, them, but know. not currently. I, I uh, Another great comic, Steve Simone, Good Times with Steve Simone podcast. I do that one. And uh, The Church of What's Happening Now with Joey Diaz. Beautiful. Beautiful.